Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two. I can't believe it's already episode two, but episode two of my podcast, Do You Fucking Mind? Let's get straight into it, seeing as I'm yet to record an intro sound, but it's, yeah, no, no, no. I was going to attempt it, but fuck that shit. Um, so first of all, I want to say thank you for everyone who listened to the podcast. So grateful. Thank you for your response, for all the messages. I still haven't gotten back to some of you guys, but I will. I will. There was a lot, but I actually want to, when I respond, I don't just want to, you know, send you a love heart emoji. Like I, I want to actually respond and talk to you guys and discuss, especially the people that have messaged me talking about their own experiences. I actually want to comment on that. So it is taking me a bit longer, but I, I am very interested and I do like to receive these messages. It's very cool. Um, okay. So quick little recap on what's happened since the last podcast. I think we're all in the same boat when we are just getting all fucking quarantined or self-isolation. Yeah, yesterday, so I work at Vive Active, which is a reformer Pilates studio. And as of yesterday, which was Monday, midday, all the gyms, fitness studios, all of that, we've had to close. So that's pretty hard because I love all my clients. I obviously love what I do. And that's just kind of shut down the whole face-to-face teaching, you know, group classes and things like that. So I've still got, you know, some of my private clients and doing some online stuff. So not all is lost. It's fine. But it's just, yeah, it's kind of also sad because we're not quite sure when we're going to reopen. We don't know if it's a matter of weeks or what. Like we've got no idea. Anyway, so that's done. But really not going to stand here and complain because as my mother always says, more was lost in the war. So let's not have a meltdown about shit that we can't really control um and I also had a massive exam so on top of all of that throw in a bloody pharmacology exam and then you've got a great concoction of good times I guess I can't say I'm stressed to be honest with you the bigger when something massive happens I'm actually quite calm and collected but then when something minor happens like me walking behind a very slow person in a corridor oh my god can't handle that shit it's really weird like smaller things annoy me so much more than massive things like here it's like you don't have a job now you're not gonna make money from that income stream that you had before all this stuff's happening you your trip to America and Mexico has been cancelled all everything's up in the air and I'm just like calm and then I'm going for a walk and someone's really slow and I'm like oh my god like losing my shit so yeah Clearly, that's obviously something I need to work on, I guess. Um, Just patience. Anyway, this episode is about getting over someone. Now, I just want to really set something straight here. If you are coming on to listen to this episode, wanting to get tips on how I should convince you that you should get back with your ex or that the breakup never should have actually happened or how to actually make the ex want to fall back in love with you. Ah, Wrong place to be. If you're in that place where you still really just want to know how to get back with your ex, this is going to be so disappointing for you. It's completely not there. This is for people that genuinely understand that they need them. You might not know how to do it, but you are ready to want the tools to actually get over someone because none of this podcast is going to be giving you hope for the relationship that has ended. None of it, not one second of it. So 
the warning is here now. You can leave. If you're going to get offended by me saying it's dead, it's dead in the water, it's done. That person does not want you back um, for the multitude of reasons I'm about to say. Then feel free to walk away. This is just not a podcast that's, you know. Um, otherwise, if you're actually here to make some actual progress moving on from someone, this is going to be the perfect podcast for you. Um, so in this podcast, I'm going to cover obviously a whole bunch of things like behaviorally, behaviorally that you can do, um, cognitive tasks that are going to help you, thought processes that are going to help you, um, some of my own experiences, and then also a little bit of the neuroscience of what actually goes down in your brain when you are going through a breakup chemically and um, little things that you can do to kind of assist that chemical kind of shift that you've had in a breakup because it's a bit of an imbalance now that's going on in your brain, kind of like a withdrawal of kinds. Um, cool. So buckle up, guys. Hopefully you find this quite helpful as I'm going to bear all as far as my experiences and also experiences of people that are close to me that have gone down this path and the different routes that you can kind of take. Anyway, let's get straight into it. So when it comes to my experiences, I'm sure a lot of you did actually listen to the episode, the Happy Hour podcast with Lucy and Nikki, the episode about um, heartbreaks and psychopaths and where I spoke about, I, I'm not going to go into massive detail about it because I'm sure you guys have heard it, but I was in a relationship for about three and a half years, madly in love and from one day to the next there were no red flags. There were no warning signs whatsoever. He kind of was like, look, I can't actually, I just can't be with you anymore. I don't have a reason. We're done. I'm so sorry. I wish I could give you an answer, but I can't. I wish I could give you closure, but I can't. It's done, 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 done. And pretty much after that, we never really spoke again. It, it was like a death. I suffered massively from it. I almost was shocked at how how hard it hit me. I always considered myself, oh, I'm a very strong, emotional, like emotionally strong person. And it literally just hit me like a truck. I was literally bedridden and I was so amazed at how heartbreak could cause physical pain. I never knew that kind of abandonment pain existed. And it literally felt like it just, it felt like I couldn't go on. And it was a massive awakening because I had never, gone through heartbreak. I thought I had in the past, but wow, no, this was something very different. And I would, before this happened to me, I would see people go through a breakup. And because I thought I had gone through heartbreak and I would see their pain, I'd be like, oh no, you poor thing. But in my mind, I'm like, mate, pull yourself together. Like, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, hey, it can't be that bad. And then it happened to me. And I just not only was feeling this pain, but I was like, oh my God, all this time that I would see people go through or see it in films or see, I never understood. And here I was just resonating so hard with these people who it, it, it is such a loss. It felt, I was fucked. I'll be honest with you guys. I was fucked. I couldn't, I couldn't go to work. I couldn't, I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to drink water. I didn't honestly... And I look back now and I think, wow, that feels like a world, like a world away, a completely different worlds from the person I am now and from who I am now. But 
that was the starting point of a lot of personal growth for me. It was what made me move cities. I moved from Brisbane to Sydney and a massive part of, I, I was wanting to move prior to the breakup. Long story short, we were, we were going to, whatever. I was going to, I had been thinking about moving for a long time. And then straight after the breakup, I knew I just absolutely had to do it. And it did feel like in a way I was potentially burning a bridge. If we ever did get back together, I was like, oh my God. And here I am moving to Sydney. Now there's less chances that we might, but I thought this is the absolute only way I'd felt that me staying in that city would just be a world of pain as far as triggers, the fact that we worked at the same place. It was just, it honestly was just a recipe for further heartbreak, if that's even possible. So I made the move and it was definitely a, a, a good decision for me. Still super painful and I suffered a lot, but definitely learned a lot and have grown from it a lot. And I now know I could put my hand on my heart and say that no matter how badly I get my heart broken, if I do in the future, I absolutely know for a fact that it will never hit me the way it did because of the experience and the growth that I got from that and what I learned. So it's not to say that I'm not going to love anyone as much. I'm sure I'll love them more. But if I was to be heartbroken, I would be very well equipped in my knowledge of who I am as a person and my the respect that I have for myself and my, the amount of resilience that I know I have in me it will never be like that ever again and I've been heartbroken since and it was literally like not even a fraction of the pain because of the tools that I had already gained so one thing for me that was extremely difficult to do was come to terms with the fact that I had to treat it as it felt like a death but I wasn't treating it like one. So I wasn't mourning the relationship or grieving. I was in denial and I kept hoping that it would get back together. And that I can guarantee you right now, you having a slither of hope is preventing you from taking any measures to move forward in the relationship. You're literally standing there saying to your subconscious mind, because if you're not saying this consciously, I can guarantee you right now, your subconscious mind is a way more in control than your conscious mind. You give it all the power and you don't even realize. And we, we, we literally can't stop that. It's every belief that we have then goes into autopilot. If you are holding on to hope and you're thinking, look, I'll do, I'll listen to what Alexis say, is saying in the podcast and I'll just get over this person enough so I can function until they get back to me. You're fucking kidding yourself. So until you can come to the realization that it is 100% over, done, dead, it's fucking deceased. If you can't get to that position, no matter how painful it is, anything that I tell you from here onwards is redundant. You, so you have to, you have to, number one, before anything, you have to realize it is fucking done. That person who was in your life, for whatever reason, you can come up with a multitude of excuses as to why, oh, but they're in denial, they're whatever. I don't care. I don't care. That person has said to you, I don't want you in my life. For whatever reason, I don't want you in my life. That is not a call to say, fight for me. That's not a, an, a, a call to be like, I just actually need a month to myself, but then I really want you back. Well, that's, that's not what it means. What it means is I don't want you in my life. If that person then turns around a few months later and says, 
made a mistake, I want to be with you. Fucking cross that bridge when you come to it. But you can only deal with the information that's at hand. Yes, it's true that there are many relationships that have rekindled. Yes, I'm aware of that. But you don't know what the future of your relationship is. So you can either wait and hope that you're that percentage of people where your relationship's going to rekindle and then possibly that not be the case like I did and take a year to get over that person like I did, like a fucking idiot. I waited and hoped for so long because I saw so many people getting back together. And I should have, because you know what? Thank God he didn't come back. Thank God he didn't come back because I would have taken him back. I would have. And he's a great person. He's a good person. I don't think he's a bad person, but my God, the, the person I've become now, if I had stayed with him, the Alexis of that route doesn't compare to the person I am now as far as growth and as far as strength. You know, I, I would know no different and I would have been happy, but I am so grateful that that ended. I can't even explain to you. And the experiences I've had in my life, my God, I, that, that the gift he gave me of catapulting myself into this new direction in life, I'm so grateful to him for doing that. And my God, if I spoke to myself five years ago and told myself that, I would, I would think that I'm high on crack, to be honest, because I was just in that much pain. And I thought I could never be happy without this person in my life. And how could I ever move on? And when someone would say to me, you'll be fine, you will get over it. I, I felt like being like, you don't fucking, you don't know I'll never be fine. You don't understand. You've obviously never been in love. If That's honestly what I wanted to say to them. I thought that people who would say to me, you'll get over it. I thought that person has never truly been in love how dare they say that because they've never been heartbroken they don't know that I'll never get over this person that's how I felt I was in despair so I'm telling you right now you can hold on to hope that's your choice everything is your choice really so you can hold on to hope and yes there's a chance that that person will come back to you but there's also a big chance that they're not going to come back to you and you are just wasting time time is fucking precious and you are just throwing it away for what Someone that has stood there and said to you, I don't want you in my life. I'm cutting you out of my life for whatever reasons. I'm cutting you out. I'm now going to do my thing. I'm now going to live on my terms, doing what I want with my time while you're sitting there waiting for them to come back. So I'm sorry. No. To me, that's a huge, big, fat, you need to move on from that person. If they come back in your life to ask for you back, I hope that you've made so much self-growth from that point that you're comfortable to say, you know what? I wouldn't want to get back with you because I'm just, I'm an updated 2.0 version of myself and I've just grown out. I've outgrown you, basically. But now that you're ready to murder that hope, kill it, hope is a weak dog, it's dead. Now you're ready to start actually grieving the relationship. Now, right now, we can start working on the tools of how you're going to rebuild and rebrand yourself as the fucking best version of you possible thanks to the breakup. Okay, so let's right now figure out what is it that I'm going to do because if you're going to keep having hope stop the podcast now and go wallow in your self-pity sorry to say it but I'm it's I'm talking to you the way I talked to myself five years ago and that's just the truth so if that's how you feel stop listening because this is just going to be pointless pointless but if right now you can make that decision it's fucking done how am I going to now take that leap to just nail life then let's continue let's talk about it the first thing that you need to do, and this is where a lot of people falter and hate doing this and argue against it, the first thing you need to do 
is cut that person out of your life. This is your first step in regaining some sort of power. When someone breaks up with you, you are in the most powerless situation possible. It's fucked. It's everything you didn't want that's happening. You have no power over that person or over the situation. You want to be in the relationship. You want to be with the person that you love. You want them to love you and none of that's now happening. And there is nothing you can do about it. And it's awful. So now that person's stepped out of your life, they've decided, no, I don't want to be in your life. Why the fuck are you then going to be checking up on them on Instagram, having people tell you, you know, asking people, did you see this person? What are they doing? Looking up if you still share like a Spotify account and looking up like what music they're listening to, looking up what they're watching on Netflix. What the fuck? That person has literally just said, I don't want you in my life, but you're now actively trying to include them in your life, include them in your life. How, how much meaner do you want to be to yourself? How much more on your ex's side are you going to be instead of on your side? Why are you doing this to yourself? The first thing you need to do is decide I'm going to be on my side and now this is the first bit of power I can take back. You don't want to be in my life? Great, fine. Not one aspect of you is now going to enter my life because I can now be the gatekeeper. I can now decide how much information comes in and the amount of information is zero. Because I can guarantee, there's two things, two things that I'm going to guarantee you. Number one, every time you do hear something about them, what, what do you feel? Do you feel bliss? Do you feel happiness? No, you feel fucked. You feel like your emotions have been ambushed because you didn't expect it. You see a photo that you were like, oh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't ready to say that. Now it feels like a dagger in your heart. You find out that they're having fun without you. Awful feeling. You find out that they've made some steps to move on. Fucked feeling. Someone tells you, oh, I think that they might be seeing someone. Fucked feeling. When is it ever a positive feeling? When has it ever paid off stalking them or finding out something about them? Never, okay? And the second thing is your mind is a manipulator, a master manipulator. So if you start digging, digging, digging to see whether you're going to find something to convince you that you shouldn't let go of hope. Oh, but that person was, you know, they watched this movie on Netflix and, you know, that that's a sad movie. That's a movie about love. So obviously they're thinking about me. Or they, no, 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 no. Stop kidding yourself. Have they called you? Have they said, I want to be back with you? No, okay. So that's your answer. Here's another thing that's really common with almost everyone when you go through a breakup. If you're still following each other on Instagram or have not blocked each other on Instagram, I get it from my friends all the time. Don't you think, oh, he's, but he's watched my stories. Don't you think it's weird that he, like, why would he watch my stories? I don't know. And no, I don't think it's weird. I think it's weird that you still follow him on Instagram when you're so heartbroken or that you're checking that he's watching your stories when you're supposedly trying to get over him. I'll tell you a fun little story so then you can see that someone watching your stories, unfortunately, is an indicator of nothing. When my ex dumped me, I moved to America and he had blocked me on social media. But his business account didn't block me. And he was watching my stories very regularly off his business account. My interpretation of that was, oh, he's hoping that I don't say that, his business, that it's his business account watching me. He actually really misses me. He's just checking up on me and he still loves me. Because why, why would he want to see what I'm doing in America otherwise? The reality of the situation was at the same time that he was checking up on me what I was doing in America, he had a new girlfriend that he had cheated on me with before I left, so it was an overlap, and he was with her and his children in Sri Lanka. 
ta-da, that's the happy ending of that story. So don't analyze what the definition of your ex watching your stories means because for me it meant he's on a beach in Sri Lanka with his new girlfriend and children. You know what I mean? Like just don't analyze. It, it will only cause you pain. What it caused me was wasting three months because that to me gave me hope. Again, the fucking weak dog of hope. It gave me hope and it wasted my time. That's all it served. So your brain will try and it's like confirmation bias. It will take a piece of information and warp it into your favor. It is what delusional people do and it's what we do when we're heartbroken because we'll cling on to fucking scraps when we're heartbroken. I've been there a couple of times and it's pretty fucking sad to be honest. So now you've got to set up some barriers around you so your weak self can have an opportunity to regain some strength because right now, hate to break it to you, you're a weak dog, okay? And you are going to falter at any possible opportunity. So you now need to start building up these barricades to rebuild yourself in your best way possible. Being a weird-ass psycho stalker, that's not very favorable for your character. Being convincing yourself that this person wants you back when literally all you should be going by is what they've told you and that's, I don't want to be with you. That's another thing. Stop, Stop trying to convince yourself anything other than what that person has told you. Because, like I said, if they turn around and say, I want to be back with you, okay, fine. You can now make the decision in that moment. But at the moment, as far as we're all concerned, it's done. So why are you trying to dig deep? Why are you trying to investigate? There's nothing to investigate. Now, this is also a really good time to take a bit of an inventory of the relationship. Because, like I said, your mind loves to manipulate. It can be your biggest ally or your biggest enemy. So here we are trying to turn it into our ally. But often what most of us will do is you will look at the relationship through rose-colored glasses. You will, or lenses, I can't remember, rose-colored lenses? Anyway, rose-colored things. You will somehow manage to block out all the things that weren't ideal Remember all the things that were great and times it by 10. You will remember probably the honeymoon period of the relationship and trick yourself into thinking that the whole relationship was that great. So even myself, when I was in that relationship, I definitely loved him. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, I was in denial. He actually was a dud. No, 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 no. He was great. But the things that I was focusing on the most was actually the first year of our relationship because as the relationship then goes on, there were things that I didn't love about it. Things that I would have been happy to put up with, obviously, because no one's perfect and that's fine. But I wasn't focusing on anything negative whatsoever. I was only focusing on the good. So write a list. Your top 10 most annoying, annoying, hated things about that person. Write them down. Have fun with it. Have fun with that task. What pissed you off about this person? What annoyed you? It's a good reminder because your brain's like, oh my God, they were perfect. Mm, wait a minute. They weren't that perfect. No one's perfect. And it's, I'm not saying that you can only be with someone that is perfect. Absolutely not. Because I can guarantee you that you, me, n- none of us are perfect. We all come with a bag of flaws. But it's really helpful every time you think about 
something really good to shut it down with one, two, three things that you didn't love about the relationship or about them or about maybe maybe the way that they were a bit too controlling of your time or maybe the way that they were a bit too needy of your time or did they celebrate your wins as much as you wished they would or whatever. It doesn't matter. But I'm sure that you can find a bunch of things that weren't great and every time you think of something great, bang, override it with two or three things that were bad. Just to even out your perspective on the relationship, just to become aware that it is what it is, you can still love that person with their flaws, but don't kid yourself. Don't make it look like it was as perfect as the honeymoon period, the whole relationship, because that, again, you're not doing yourself any favors by thinking that way. Another thing that is really, really easy to do is turn this person into this now symbol of perfection, like a representation of the perfect partner that now you are now at a loss for the rest of your life if you can never be with that person again. So when I moved to LA and I had been and I went through my second big breakup, I remember having these feelings of, oh my God, oh my God, I've just, this is a massive loss. You know, he was so perfect. He brought all these things into the relationship. He was this person, he was that. And I was thinking of only his positive attributes, forgetting all the multitude of negative attributes, only thinking of the good. And then imagining, oh, the girl that gets that, that gets him in the future. Wow, how lucky, you know, and just thinking that I would always be at a loss. But then you've got to pause and think, I'm feeling this way because I'm in love with this person. Imagine if you met that person now, not with the emotions of love, or say you met someone with all those attributes and you just met them, you weren't in love with them, they just enter your life, you meet them as a friend and then they walk away. Do you feel, oh my God, if I don't date that person, I'm at a massive loss, I'll never, I'll never find anyone better than that person? No, you don't. They're pretty irrelevant in your life. Even if they shared all the, t- all the attributes, all the whatever, they're not like... People become special because of the emotion that you attach onto them because of the bond that you create. But that person in and of itself, you can create that with many people. I'm going to stand here and say, I don't believe that there's such thing as one soulmate for the rest of your life. I think that's bullshit. Bullshit. So you're you're going to have the opportunity, if you're open enough, to create that bond and that relationship with many people in your life. It's you create that. That person doesn't possess it and you've now lost it. You both created a bond and you created a relationship that was very special. Then that bond got broken. You're now, you don't lose all of that ability to create that when the relationship is lost. You've lost that one particular person, but the ability to create that relationship and that bond is in you. So you then, when you meet someone new, who can be a polar opposite to your ex, you can have just as deep or an even deeper love because it's the connection that you and that person brings to the table. If you were to look at your ex with no emotions attached as a person, would you say they literally are the best person in the world to date? Probably not. Probably not. They're probably good, but there's many good people in the world and you make them great through your relationship and through the fact that you've fallen in love with them. So you're not at a massive loss hate to be so blunt about it, but you're really not, okay? There's many, 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 many more people that are going to come along and 
you will have the ability to have that, that same bond in a unique way or stronger with them. So it is really hard to have these thoughts because you are in love. So one thing that's really common for us when we are in pain is that we really get attached for some reason with being with our pain. We get attached with our pain. We get attached with our heartbreak. We resonate with our heartbreak. It feels comforting in a way. It's weird, but it does. And all of that makes us grow a really strong connection with being the victim of the situation. And because it's so difficult to step out of it, you really do feel like the victim because you feel like you have no power. So you then associate, it's like a vicious circle because you associate so heavily with being the victim. So then you feel powerless. And then when you feel powerless, you're like, fuck, I'm such a victim here. And then when you become more of a victim, you're like, wow, I'm really powerless. And then it just keeps going and going and going. It's actually really fucked. And you know it because you have seen a friend go round and round and round and round and round. And you just want to shake them and knock some sense into them being like, whoa, wake up to yourself. Look what you're doing. You are literally talking yourself or thinking yourself into this dark place darker than it needs to be and we do this to ourselves all the time because we have this deep attachment to pain because that pain is what we know and we feel we feel like it comforts us in a way you know we the unknown is what's scary us going back out on a limb is what's scary being heartbroken isn't scary it's painful but it's not scary and so Better the devil you know is kind of what your subconscious mind is saying, what your fear-based thoughts are saying. I'll, I'll wallow here. Oh, and I'll protect myself. I'll never date again. I'll, you know, I'll have that wall up. You know, fuck men. They can all get fucked. Honestly, that was me. That was me. And I hate admitting it, but I was that kind of person that says, ha, good luck ever seeing me in a relationship again. Never. You know, I'll, I'll be single for the rest of my life. I was that bitter person. And uh, it's embarrassing to admit it, but I really was. And I was like, I'll never let that wall down. Good luck ever seeing anyone break my heart again. No, no, I'll protect it. You know what? Calm the fuck down and just be, be a little bit just aware of your self-talk and what's going through your mind at that time because you you it feels empowering to be able to say all those things but it's it's not true power because you're in the grasp of being the victim of being powerless so you don't want to take that leap of faith that I was talking about in my last podcast of jumping out and you know being so exposed to what could happen you don't want to do that because you're so protected being where you are in pain you're suffering but you're protected because where you are right now, no one can really hurt you that much more. No one can really break your heart in the completely broken state that you're in. It's kind of like you've now hit rock bottom. You can't really go any further. So you feel kind of safe here and you make some sort of friends with your misery and you're like, oh, well, it's, it's at least I'm not scared. That's where you've got to try and snap out. If you've got to acknowledge that place that you're in 
and realize that when are you associating yourself with being a victim and when are you kind of bonding with being powerless in this situation? Because it's really easy to turn it around and feel sorry for yourself or when someone talks about ways to help you and they actually want to help you and then you're like, no, no, and you only talk about all the bad. How often do you do that? How often is your self-talk about that? And how often when you talk to people do you talk about how more protected you are and your walls and how you're just never going to let someone get into the – every time you say that, you strengthen your subconscious idea of yourself, that you're weak, that you need to be – you know, you need to have this wall up so you're never going to get hurt again, that everyone that does come into your life is probably going to hurt you, that all men are fucked, you know, that mentality – Terrible, 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 terrible. Um, we, I'm sure we all do it. I did it for a long time. It was not helpful. At no point did it help me. I, I thought it helped me because at least, I, like I said, I felt no fear. But just acknowledge, am I thinking these things? Am I giving the little power I have to playing the role of the victim? Every time you do that, that's playing the role of the victim. Another thing that you will tell yourself is that, oh, should I be fighting for it? Should I be fighting for this relationship? You know, maybe maybe they left me because they want to they see me fight for it. No, they didn't. And if they did, that's a toxic relationship, so don't fight for it. No one should ever stand back and do nothing and watch the other person fight for them. You're either both in a relationship, both fighting for something, or you're not. But I don't believe that it's ever acceptable for someone to want to watch someone fight for them. And if they do, toxic, massive red flag, they did you a favor by dumping you, okay? So never in any way, shape or form, should you interpret someone leaving you and basically blocking you out of their life as an invitation to fight for them. Just make that clear in your mind. Another thing that I think is really common for us to do is want to seek closure or feel that we can't completely cut that person out of our life until we have closure. Or you can't move on until you have closure. Closure is bullshit as far as I'm concerned. It's something that we give way too much power to. Way too much power to. And we think that it has to come from the external. And that we can't provide the closure. Because it's only something that, you know, it's this mystical thing that someone else knows. It's this golden key to my getting better that they have that they haven't handed that information over to me yet. So until I get that passed on to me, I now can't recover because they have they have that key. They know something I don't know. They don't. They don't know something that you don't know. If they didn't give you a proper reason when they broke up with you, it's because there's probably a multitude of things that they might not be able to put their finger on, but it just didn't work for them or it didn't feel right. So don't kid yourself. There's nothing that person knows about you that you don't know. They might have demons in their own mind, but that's not your problem and you don't need to know that information. What you know is that it's done. You've got to get to a place where you're so comfortable with the fact that you provide your own closure. Think about it. Nothing will change in your situation. They've still left you. You're still single now. The uh, the fact that where you are right now in your life situation, that's not going to change. No matter what they tell you, it's not really going to change. It's still going to be over. Why don't you... Give yourself the closure and be like, you know what? I've come to realize that I'm now growing from this. That person 
is going to go down their own path that I don't need their intervention into my path. And nothing that person says to me can change the way I feel about myself or I feel about where I'm headed. That's your closure. Your closure is you closing the chapter. You're asking them to close that chapter for you. Why? They're the ones that just broke your heart. They're the ones that had all the power in making this happen. And now you're going to just continue to to feed that person your power. Don't give it away. You can be the cause of your own closure. And it's the best feeling in the world. When you can stand there and say, you know what? If that person came up to me and said, I want to give you the reason now why I broke up with you, how good would it feel to be able to say, no, I actually don't need to hear it from you because there's nothing you can say that would change the way I feel about myself, who I am and where I'm headed. It's the best feeling in the world and that's where your true power comes from. All right, so let's now get into a little bit of the biology or neuroscience behind why we feel the way that we feel. We've got a bunch of neurotransmitters that are relevant to sort of pro-social behaviors, dating relationships. And when you are showing these behaviors or, or sort of contributing to a relationship, your brain's going to be releasing dopamine because it's a, it's for your survival and your brain sees it that way. So anything that's survival-based is going to work through these rewards pathways like sex, drinking water, uh, eating, sleeping, you're, it's going to feel good. And your body wants to make you think it feels good, so you continue to do it. And that's the same with relationships, whether it's to reproduce or to have your tribe, that is perceived by your brain as something necessary for your survival. So it releases dopamine. So you just continue releasing these feel-good neurotransmitters um, when you're in a relationship. And you've got dopamine, you've got serotonin. When someone breaks up with you, you get a massive reduction in the production of your dopamine because it's kind of like a jolt to the system. You are withdrawing massively from something that was providing you sort of a stimulus that was providing you dopamine is now being withdrawn. So you start producing less dopamine and less serotonin, those two neurotransmitters which are very crucial to feeling good and feeling rewarded so you actually go through physical withdrawals there's a part of the brain which fires up it's called the anterior cingulate cortex and that fires up the same way that it would fire when you're in physical pain that region fires when you're heartbroken and hence the physical pain and emotional pain that you're feeling to the extent that most people when asked, would you rather be heartbroken or feel physical pain? Most people will pick physical pain over a heartbreak pain because that area sometimes fires even more so than with physical pain. So the offshoots of that, when you start getting low levels of serotonin and dopamine is you start getting higher anxiety. People can have panic attacks, low self-esteem, depression, poor mood regulation, you've got like your appetite is either really, really poor or you're just sort of binge eating. So there's like the, you can't really regulate your appetite properly. Um, and then you, you can also become an insomniac. This is with poor levels of serotonin and um, also sensitivity to like you could be highly sensitive to physical pain. People that are often have really high levels of serotonin 
they have a higher pain threshold. Now, if you look at the way a thought is formed, a thought is um, it's it's a process of chemicals and electrical impulses in your brain. So the idea that you can think yourself into a better state is true. It's you look at how the brain reacts and responds to an antidepressant and you realize that it's got to do with your own brain's production of your own neurotransmitters. So the way that works, it's when you take an antidepressant like Prozac or Zoloft, those drugs fit in the category of SSRIs, which stand for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitor. So if you look at how serotonin gets released, you've got one neuron and it's sending serotonin, and well, any neurotransmitter, but in this case serotonin, it's dumping serotonin out of that neuron and it's landing on another neuron and then it's activating these gates, the gates open and it allows the serotonin to enter the next neuron. But these gates open and close very, very quickly. So they only allow, you know, they open and close for, for a thousandth of a second. So they only allow part of that serotonin to come in. So you've got serotonin that's sitting there on the sort of on that neuron that hasn't been absorbed. So you've got these transporter cells that come in, collect that serotonin and pump it back up to the original neuron, the original cell to be reused. What taking an SSRI does is it inhibits those transporter cells from picking up, from reuptaking that serotonin and bringing it back to the original neuron. So they stay sitting there on on that second cell, on that second neuron, activating the gates again. So the gates then open, allow more serotonin and close open. They're continuously activating that cell to open those channels for the serotonin to come in. So we're just, it's still working on your own production of serotonin. Now, that's how an antidepressant works. I wouldn't recommend it for absolutely anyone. Like I was saying before, it should be more for chronic depression just because coming off an antidepressant is very very complicated and the mechanisms of how your brain then adapts to an antidepressant I could go down like a hole that's going down a rabbit hole talking about that but that's pretty much the mechanisms of it what I'm trying to explain with this is that you're using a drug that's manipulating how your own production of serotonin is used to put you at an advantage but it's not giving you serotonin it's your own production so thoughts that you can think that produce more serotonin a thought is actually a chemical and a chemical and an electrical impulse is what can change your mood. It's not easy because you've been so sad and you've been so used to thinking these sad thoughts that it's not something I can't, you know, it, it, it takes practice, but you can make yourself better. Just look at thinking empowering thoughts, just like training at the gym. You can't go and just deadlift a hundred kilos off the bat if you've never trained. Are you capable of it? Is your body capable of it? Yes, but you need to train. You can't do it right now, but it's achievable with training. That's how I look at thoughts and empowering thoughts. I don't expect someone to, from a state of depression, just all of a sudden not think happy thoughts and you'll just be happy and all this serotonin floating around. It's an adaptation that your brain has to do. So it takes a little bit of time, but it doesn't take that much time. You just have to sort of continuously practice these thoughts you've got to be more on your side you've got to find yourself having empowering thoughts because you might not be able to think a happy thought but you can think an empowering thought an empowering thought doesn't have to be happy 
You don't have to kid yourself into feeling something that you're just not feeling right now. But you can do things to put yourself first that make you think, oh, well, that felt good because I didn't put myself last in that situation. So that's at least empowering. I, I put myself as a priority for the first time instead of putting my ex as the priority. Oh, you know, instead of allowing that ex to enter my life when I have no say and sort of catching me unaware, I'm able to cut all contact with my ex and now I feel empowered because I'm doing something to protect my sanity. You know, there's all these steps that you can take that take you from powerless to empowered. And it might feel tiny, but it makes a huge difference when it comes to these chemical thoughts and balances and, you know, that it's a fine tuning of the brain and it, it makes a difference. So what are ways that you can increase, other than through thoughts, what are ways that you can increase serotonin production in your brain? Serotonin, dopamine, endorphins, all those feel-good neurotransmitters. So working out is one of the main ones. Exercising, increasing your heart rate, getting out there, moving your entire body, that is huge for feeling better. And people that exercise, the, the stats are there, the, the science is there, People that exercise either have a much lower rate of getting depression and people that are depressed, that is one of the best ways to treat depression is to exercise. You release endorphins. Endorphins are your natural painkiller, your body's natural painkiller. The release of endorphins makes you feel better. So then you start releasing serotonin. You feel better. You think better thoughts. It's this really good sort of carry-on effect. Being outdoors, not... Like in you're in the sun, it doesn't mean that you have to be sun baking, just going out for a walk in the early morning in that light. If you're cooped up in the darkness, it's terrible. Get outside and go for a walk. That actually is going to make a huge difference. And randomly also, you probably don't want to do this one, but really cold showers actually does kind of give your your system a bit of a shock and a boost and it will you will actually release serotonin doing that. Probably not the most appealing thing when you're heartbroken to throw yourself in a cold shower, but studies show that that does also work. So if you do it, let me know because I'd love to know how you're feeling after a freezing cold shower. So guys, basically, in a nutshell, that's the first few stages and crucial things that you need to implement when trying to get over someone. There will be a part two of this for more sort of once you've kind of mastered those steps, there's going to be a part two, which I will release soon but I just want you to the main thing that you need to think about is are your actions benefiting you or are they benefiting a relationship that's died stop putting your power in the hands of someone else or in into the unknown because you're being really unfair to yourself and if you can't be on your side who who will be on your side you're the one that has to go to bed at night with your own mind. You're the one that wakes up with yourself in the morning. Like you need to learn how to have your back in this whole situation. Even if you're not thrilled, even if you're not having a good time, how can you put yourself first again and again and again and prove to yourself that it doesn't matter if if someone's going to leave you as long as you're there and have your own back. Like it sounds simple, but it's amazing how much you attack yourself because when someone rejects you, it's really common to feel unlovable or to feel that you shouldn't be loved or you can't love yourself or you're angry at yourself because you think that, oh, fuck, I fucked it up, so I'm pissed off at myself. That's the worst thing you should do. Most of the time when breakups happen, it's got you with the person that's doing the breaking up. 
They've either grown apart from you or it's their own journey. And you don't have to go on and hate on them and whatever. It's, it's not relevant anymore. They're not a part of your life anymore. And I think that it's really important to just stop putting your attention on them because you could, I can guarantee you, you could fuel thoughts about your ex for the rest of eternity. That's how crazy our minds are if we let them be. We can go crazy thinking about someone because we have no issue repeating a thought again and again and again and again and again. We just do that to ourselves. It's fucked, but we do. So stop and just be aware when you have those thoughts and bring it back to you and always bring it back to you and always be fair on yourself because you're the one that's putting up with your shit. So just be patient, be nice, be kind to yourself and you'll be amazed in no time blending this, what I've told you here, with all the take a leap of faith things that I spoke in the last podcast. You can go from breaking up to the best fucking time of your life in a span of months if you are true to yourself and implement this shit seriously. You are literally on track to being the best fucking version of yourself that the thought of going back to your ex makes you be like, oh God, no, that's a world apart because you are literally like a whole version of yourself, like the 2.0 you has happened because you've done this. You've done the work and you've come out the other end and it doesn't have to take a year like it took me. You can do this in way less time if you do the work. So thank you so much for listening to episode two. Please send me a message. Send this to someone if you think that it could help them go through a breakup and I will see you or speak to you next episode. So be kind to yourself and your brain and au revoir. Love you all. Bye.